The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. This week's episode of The Writer Files is brought to you by New Media Dojo and our podcast production partners. I want to give a shout out to a fantastic show we've had the pleasure to work on called Just As Special with talented host Natasha Pepperell. Just As Special is the place to learn about foster care from diverse perspectives. And as one of the few BIPOC-hosted foster care podcasts, and the only foster care podcast centered on BIPOC, LGBTQ+, and multi- and non-religious perspectives. Join foster mom Natasha. She talks with former youth in care, non-traditional foster families, foster care professionals, and community members. Learn more at justaspecial.com and find Just As Special wherever you tune in to podcasts. Make a sound impression with New Media Dojo and inquire today about all of your podcast production needs. Just head over to newmediadojo.com to say hi. That's newmediadojo.com. You know, other people write faster than me. I, I normally take about two years to work on something, and I and and before I sit down to start working, I've probably thought about it for years or a decade before I even type a word. But I think that experience it just lent the story this sort of anxious, grimy, quick-paced feeling. Greetings, scribes, and welcome back to the Writer Files. I am your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you wisdom, words, and wherewithal per usual. Internationally best-selling novelist and short story author Nicholas Butler spoke to me about working shitty jobs, the irony of his latest title, Godspeed, and defining the modern Western. Nicholas is an Iowa Writers Workshop grad and author of the award-winning novel Shotgun Love Songs, as well as The Hearts of Men and Little Faith, and the short story collection Beneath the Bonfire. His latest novel is Godspeed, described as an incisive portrait of working-class life, the meth epidemic, and the many stratified realities of this one America we all live in separately. New York Times bestselling author Ace Atkins said of the book, a fast-moving, highly addictive novel of ambition, obsession, and long-festering dreams of the haves and have-nots. Nicholas has published articles, reviewed short stories, and poetry in publications such as Plowshares, Narrative, and the New York Times Book Review, among many others. In this file, Nicholas and I discussed harnessing storytelling and the inner lives of blue-collar workers, how to write a novel in under six months, the importance of writing for your core readership, and why writers need to challenge themselves, 
harness the power of deadlines and turn their art into a craft. Stay calm and write on. Then if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher whenever they're available. And please drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks so much. Um, Yes, we are rolling once again on The Writer Files, and I am honored and privileged today to be joined by esteemed short story writer, novelist, Nicholas Butler. Um, Thanks so much for taking time to uh, hop on and wrap with us about writing and your latest book. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. I can't wait to dig into Godspeed, um, this fantastic new novel of yours. Let's talk a little bit about your, you know, background as a writer and kind of um, where you where you come from as a writer. Because I understand, you know, each writer has this kind of meandering path to bestseller. But take us back a little bit, you know, kind of maybe even to pre Iowa Writers Workshop days. But and that's a pretty lauded um, program, and we've had quite a few uh, alums from there come through here. But yeah, tell us a little bit about kind of the cliff notes of your superhero origins uh yeah so i i mean i think you know i think it comes down to to growing up in eau claire wisconsin and and just having the best public school teachers in the world and also a mom that you know constantly fed me books i always think about you know the old coal-powered locomotives uh and the guy you know somewhere in that locomotive shoveling coal in into a fire that was my mom throwing mm-hmm. books at me as a, as a boy. Um, I had the, the best teachers in the world who recognized that I was sort of a goofball, but that I loved books and stories and they gave me opportunities to, to work on, you know, I, I guess I didn't recognize it as a craft then, but that that's probably what I was starting on. Uh, wrote for my middle school newspaper, wrote for my high school newspaper. Hmm. And then through my twenties, you know, I just worked this horrible string of, you know, pretty shitty jobs, um, not making any money, but writing was always there in my life. I was publishing, you know, poetry where I could and publishing a few bits of nonfiction. And, uh, yeah. And then when my wife became pregnant, when I was 28, I was working at a liquor store, star liquor, shout out to star liquor in Madison, Wisconsin. And, uh, (laughs) we were on food stamps and we didn't, you know, we were in pretty dire straits. And, uh, I had a conversation with myself about like what kind of dad I wanted to be and what kind of man I wanted to be. And I didn't really want to be working at that liquor store forever. And so I thought about like what I was good at. And the only thing I could really come up with, even though it's totally improbable and improbable solution was, was writing. So I, I started taking, you know, private workshops and working on my fiction writing and applied to graduate school one year and got totally shut out. And then the next year I, I got into Iowa and that was really the turning point, I think, for me. Things started to Amazing. Yeah, things started to feel like they were moving in the right direction after that. Yeah. Yeah, such an amazing program and it's such an interesting story behind that. But yeah, so now, after you know multiple literary prizes and and a string of bestsellers, is this your fourth novel? Yeah, fourth novel, fifth book. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about Godspeed and kind of the the impetus behind it because it does 
cover some really interesting, I think very timely um, themes and subject matter for right now. And you've been probably talking about it quite a bit during your promotion and, and virtual or hybrid tour as it is um, these days. But yeah, talk talk a little bit about kind of the genesis of this fantastic story that's being described kind of as a, you know, in this modern Western genre, but also a thriller um, that talks about some pretty important things that I think are happening in our country right now, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, give us a little bit of the backstory. Yeah, back in uh, 2014, we finished construction of this house where I'm um, talking to you from south of Eau Claire, and it, it's uh, nothing like the house inside the, the book. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, a family friend of mine stopped by, a guy who works in the construction trades, and he he started telling me the story. And, you know, I think one thing that's really important about, uh, you know, about being a writer is like when somebody in your life starts to kind of tell you an important story, you got to kind of lean in there because uh, they're trying to communicate something about their, their life. And, um, and so he started talking about this multi-million dollar house that he was working on not so far away from us, which is, you know, that's big money in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And um, the crew slipped behind whatever perceived deadline there was. And the homeowner got everybody together on the crew and said she would offer each of them a five-figure bonus that they could finish the house in the next three weeks. And my buddy said to me, he's like, Nick, uh, if we had all the meth in the world, we couldn't have finished that house in three weeks. And I thought, (laughs) it's like, holy shit. Yeah, I was like, that seems like a great idea for a novel. So then I... I began asking myself questions about like, well, who is that homeowner and where did their money come from and why did they have this deadline and uh, what kind of house is it and what would happen if my friend and his crew had said, yeah, we'll, we'll take that on and, and what would happen if, if things went sideways and um, yeah. they maybe did have to resort to using math to stay up, to keep working on the project, to, to make their deadline. And, the the tricky thing was I, I never saw the book as happening as as being set in Wisconsin. Um, and all my other books are set in Wisconsin and and I've made a good career out of using that as a setting, but I think there was there was just something that wasn't right about it to me. So years mm-hmm. later we took a family trip out to Yellowstone and uh, came down through Jackson and I was pretty naive at the time. I was like, Oh, what a you know, what a quaint ski town this is and you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe we could live here. And then I, I looked at the real estate <laughs> and was like, how does anybody live here? You know? Right. Who li- who can live there? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and how more, you know, more than that, like how, how are you a barista living there or how are you on a construction yeah. crew and living there? And so we passed through Jackson and we went to this, uh, we went camping in Bridger Teton national forest and we were there for these hot springs. And I would sit in the hot springs and look around at the mountains and the river below. And, and I thought, this is the place we can, we can amplify that story that my buddy told me, we can take the wealth Mm. inequality in America and we can put it here and we can, instead of a $2 million house, we can build a $20 million house. And instead of a, a nasty Wisconsin winter where a lot of snow falls and it's very cold, we can put it up here in the mountains where at some point these guys are going to be stuck. It'll be impossible to keep going. Um, and so it was really like just a, you know, as a writer, you're looking for ways to up the ante to, 
to amplify the stakes and and jackson be kind of became the key for that for sure for sure um i haven't actually been to jackson but you know i've spent quite a bit of time in colorado and locales like telluride or uray which are kind of similar you know they have these just like incredibly you know kind of like these epic views and like this beautiful but you're like yeah i mean who can really afford to live in like aspen colorado or telluride um and yeah who's working that who's working that barista gig right (laughs) where did they live right yeah it's pretty amazing earlier in the show i mentioned an invaluable resource for writers truth is the arrow mercy is the bow a diy manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing failing and trying again Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. But yeah, uh, so this kind of new brand of Western, but you know, I sensed it right away that, you know, it's immediately pretty clear that, you know, there's kind of this irony to the title, um, which, you know, literally means like a prosperous journey. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a, a distinct class division, right? Kind of the meritocracy versus the blue collar, which is very evident right now. And, and kind of this very polarized, time and history and these concentric circles of crises and of course it, it you know overlaps with as you get into a little bit in the book well quite a bit in the book um i don't know the the, the obviously the, the methamphetamine epidemic but it's kind of dovetails yeah. into the opioid ep- epidemic and deaths of despair you know it's like it's a, it's a tough time so so it seems like an incredibly timely um novel for right now um, but it's also a page turner and uh, quite an uh, exhilarating story. So, yeah, um, talk a little bit more about when you're working on a book like this. You know, we like to kind of dig into a little bit your process, and you know, I, I understand that <laughs> that you put yourself through some 
kind of some all-nighters to see if you can emulate some of the the stressors. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I mean, back in January of 2019, I went for a walk with my wife and I sort of said, well, I'm thinking about working on, you know, book X or books, book Y and uh, book Y happened to be Godspeed. I told her what the the plot was and she said, you know, you seem really excited about that. Why don't you, why don't you go after that? And so I did, but, but I was really busy at that time. I had just launched uh, my fourth book, Little Faith. And I was on this really grueling uh, schedule where I, I think I visited like 50 independent bookstores and libraries and I was traveling all over the place. And so I sort of set up this goal where I was like, I think I'm going to I'm going to try to write this in about the same amount of time that the guys are building the house within the narrative. Wow. You know, other people write faster than me. I, I normally take about two years to work on something and I and. And before I sit down to start working, I probably thought about it for years or a decade before I even type a word. But I think that experience, it just lent the story, this sort of anxious, grimy, quick paced feeling. Yeah. And I, I can't, I wouldn't necessarily do that for like the next novel that I'm writing, which I think is going <laughs> to have a, a totally different emotional question and a different sort of pace and tonality. But but for this book, it worked really well. It just left me feeling really raw at the end. I just felt hmm. exhausted. And then, of course, we rolled right into COVID. So it's been kind of a huh. fucked up two years, you know? <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Yeah. So um, when you're hitting your stride and you're kind of getting into that um, really good flow state with a, with a book like this, what is your kind of your most prolific? What is the peak of prolificity? Is that a word? <laughs> Look like for you. <laughs> That's a good question. Basically, what you're asking me is like, how many pages could you bang out in a day? Something like that. Yeah. What do you feel like on your best day? Like, yeah. what does that look like? Like, you get up, you you know, you hit the gym. I don't know. You know, everybody has a different process for kind of hitting that that yeah. day, where they're just like, oh, this is it. I'm in. I'm in the groove. Yeah. Uh, for me, that would be like, uh, I don't know, wake up when the rest of my house starts moving, maybe around 6.45, 7, get the kids off to school, start slamming coffee, feel, uh, you know, in the case of this book, totally <laughs> wired and jittery. And uh, and then right from maybe like 9, to nine in the morning to 2 or 3 in the afternoon. And if I was focused and not interrupted... I could probably get, you know, 10, 12 pages out of a day like that. I'm sure I've written more than that in a day, but, but I mean, 10 or 12 pages that like I didn't have to dive back into and totally, uh, rearrange or something like that. I'd be really satisfied with a, with a day like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I couldn't help but think that, you know, and just going back to my own, uh, string of shitty jobs as a young person you know i spent summers kind of doing this where i knew these guys you know i spent summers like as a subcontractor working on um multi-million dollar homes that were cut into rock like right outside of denver kind of in the oh, foothills there in a um, uh, neighborhood called rocks roxborough park i think it's called it's kind of surrounded by a golf course but there's all these uh multi-million dollar like all natural wood homes right. um you know, the exteriors are all natural wood. So we were subcontracted to come in and stain them, stain the outside. So we're hanging off these, 
precipices, you know, literally belayed uh, hundreds of feet above the ground, like staining the sides of these homes in like 100 degree heat. Yeah. And uh, working on deadlines like all the time. It was harrowing work. Yeah. (laughs) But I definitely knew these characters. I knew (laughs) um, the, the, uh, all three of these guys, Teddy, Bart, Cole. Talk a little bit about kind of your relationships, uh, your, at least the formation kind of the, of the characters and the, and kind of, as you talk about these adult relationships that kind of make up the core, really the core of the book outside of the thriller piece, outside of the kind of the page turning, um, race against the clock. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't plan on it going into, uh, every book, but it, it seems like I, I'm writing about friendship pretty much in every book and, and maybe specifically male friendship, you know, with these guys, when we were building our house, I was here every day and I would, I'd talk to the construction workers because this is my hometown. And so a lot of those guys had gone to high school at, at my high school. Maybe they were a little bit older than me. We had people in common. We drink at the same bars and you know, I wouldn't say that I was like, I'm not going to say that I was their friend, but like we were definitely friendly and they were open about the challenges in their, their lives. And construction has a really interesting pecking order mm-hmm. with like, and you, and this I think will resonate with you. I mean, with like, you know, let's, let's start at the top. Like there's architects and uh, general contractors up at the top. And then there's finished carpenters and, working our way down, there's plumbers and electricians. Um, <laughs> and, th- and then you start to get into like at near the bottom is like painters and sheet rockers and stuff like that. Totally. Totally. And these guys have different, totally different lives. It seemed to me like the Finnish carpenters were always these fit dudes, uh, who showed up on time, who did not smoke, uh, <laughs> all their, they had all their teeth, you know, and like, <laughs> you know, some of these guys had been divorced three, four times. They had substance problems. They were the guys I would turn to to buy weed, you know, during that time. Uh, right. And they, they just lived adventurous lives. There was one guy in the crew. I'll never forget. It was like something out of a, a Richard Linkladder uh, movie. No matter what <laughs> I what I said to the guy, he'd say, fuck yeah. Like, <laughs> Didn't matter if I said like, totally. you know, how's, how's your day going, man? Fuck yeah. Uh, when do you think you'll be done with that roof? Fuck yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I'd worked a lot of shit jobs, but I, I just, I had a ton of respect for these guys who were basically the instruments for, for building this, this family house that we have, which was, you know, my own, you know, if I'm being totally candid, it was like an expression of my American dream. And what a weird dynamic that is. For sure. Yeah, there's something a little bit nerve-wracking about those uh, coalitions of guys because, you know, some of them are, as you mentioned, kind of this itinerant band of, you know, like almost like construction subcontracting gypsies, you know, they just kind of go from one job to the next and whatever city will put up with them. And (laughs) and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. It does make for very interesting relationships. And of course at the heart of this book talk a little bit about you know kind of this classification of the modern western and you kind of had mentioned a couple of titles or you know comparatively you know we're talking about maybe some 
Cormac McCarthy or similar. But yeah, talk a little bit about that classification because I definitely sense that about it, you know. And it is it is a new um, kind of expression of this thing, the Western. Yeah. Well, as a, a Midwesterner, uh, you know, I was I was a little intimidated to to sort of branch out into this territory, but I. I felt a hell of a lot better after we started getting, you know, blurbs back and somebody like CJ box was like, yeah, this is, you know, this is a good book. And he's a Wyoming guy through and through that meant a lot. My, my buddy, John Larison told me that when he picked up the rough draft, he's an Oregon guy, but when he Mm. picked up the rough draft, he had his, he had his red pen with him. You know, he was looking for (laughs) mistakes this Midwesterner had made, but for me, a, a Western normally has a moral question uh at the center of it and it's also in some ways an expression of the american dream um you know sometimes it's like a gunfighter who's who's trying to get out of a life of violence but maybe has one more job to do or a bank robber placed in a similar circumstance and so and of course the the setting it has to be in the american west and so that's what i you know, I, I was really thinking about a book like Scott Smith's Simple Plan, which is not mm-hmm. a Western at all, but it, but it, it places, he places his characters in a position where they can always make the right decision, the moral decision to stop, to end the narrative, but they just can't, they just keep getting dragged deeper and deeper into <laughs> it. And I, and the treasure is Sierra Madre works that way, I guess in a way like no country for old men works that way. So that's, that's kind of what I was, what I was after. And I've just been really heartened that, you know, a lot of Western writers have, uh, have been willing to come along for the ride. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And the blurbs are fantastic. Congratulations. I'll just read, uh, Part of the CJ Box uh, blurb. Godspeed is a page-turning race against the clock novel about fatal obsession, love, violence, addiction, and faith. I thought what Library Journal had to say was pretty, pretty sweet. Butler's award-winning talent as a storyteller propels his characters on a heart-stopping, daring race with unexpected outcomes. Godspeed, indeed. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, how are you feeling right now um, as you are uh, promoting, and, and what are you working on next? Well, I just feel I, you know, candidly, I just feel so, so lucky to just uh, keep publishing and to be published well and and to have an international audience and a a core readership that seems to want to follow, follow me, even if I do something crazy like a Godspeed. Um, (laughs) And that's my overwhelming uh, feeling right now is just gratefulness. Um, This is not a easy lifestyle nothing's really assured there's no fortune and glory but it's what i always wanted to do you know like last night i was up in bayfield wisconsin right on lake superior working with an indie bookseller we had you know 35 people show up for an event you know in this kind of strange covid time Mm -hmm. i was talking to my friend peter peter guy was part of the event and i he's a writer that i just hold in such high esteem and and when the 16-year-old version of me thinks about something like that, I mean, he'd lose his mind. So <laughs> for sure. That's, you know, that's what I I want to focus on, you know, just gratefulness and appreciation. Really cool, man. Um all right, well, before we wrap up here, of course, I'm going to point at your home base, 
nicholasbutler.com. I'll drop a link in the show notes to the work and your uh, Twitter, of course. Is there anywhere else you want to connect with listeners? I'm just barely on Twitter. You know, I think I've tweeted about five times, oh, but uh, nice. I'm on I'm on the gram and I enjoy Instagram a lot. And my cool. handle there is Wisco, Wisco Butler. Got it. I'm on Facebook as myself. Cool. And uh, yeah, but mostly lately these days, I've just been kind of focusing on Instagram. It's just been more positive, I think. For sure. All right. Well, um, before we wrap up with your final advice to uh, your fellow scribes on just how to persevere through tough times, if you could have dinner with any author from any era, uh, who would you choose and where would you take them? Uh, Ideally... It would be an all-expense-paid dinner to your favorite restaurant in the world. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, it would be Jim Harrison for sure. I would let him choose the restaurant. I think mm. uh, knowing Jim's legend, we'd probably be somewhere in like Lyon or Paris. Oh. And it would be an extensive, like probably 20-course meal. Just like an just like a an endurance race of <laughs> wine and and rich French food and uh, conversations yeah. about poetry and the natural world and uh, yeah that would be great. Love it. All right. Yeah, just your polar wisdom on on just how to how to keep going for for writers out there who are kind of looking for a little bit of inspiration. The longer that I go, the more that I think the best thing about this job is, is looking at it as a craft. And that might seem, um, I don't know how people will take that. It's not the sexy answer, but Mm. if you're going to have a career over a long period of time, you have to figure out ways to challenge yourself and to try to become better at what you're doing. And so I think about it like that, like a craft, like I got to sit down every day as much as I can, you know, with two small kids and a, and a wife and, responsibilities but like how do i make time to do my work how do i make it challenging how do i push the pros how do i take projects that aren't necessarily financially viable but are interesting and are maybe like a a service to my friends or my community uh in recent years i've been writing a a column for my local newspaper which i think the the liter yeah i think the literati might think i'm fucking crazy i think it's really a great service to local journalism and to keeping my hometown newspaper alive. I ain't getting rich doing it, but it also challenges my craft. I have to keep these deadlines comes around every three weeks. I never say no, or I need more time. I have to write within a certain confines, you know, 800 to like maybe a thousand words. And, and that's been one of the best, most surprising, most illogical decisions I've made in my career, but it's been so rewarding. I love that, man. Well, we appreciate your time. Um, I, you know what they say, if, if you need something done, uh, ask a busy person, I think. Or I'm probably butchering that one. But, um, we uh, Congrats on the work and really hope you come back and wrap with us again sometime in the future. I'd love that. I had a lot of fun talking to you and I really, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives 
at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.